At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Reveal, Stories with Purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. Jesus also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. And still there is room. So the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can gather this morning, that we're here together as your people here in this room. And we're thankful for your word, Lord. Your word remains. Though heaven and earth may pass away, your word remains. And so, Lord, thank you for the privilege and for the blessing of hearing your word. And we would ask now this morning that as we hear your word, that it would speak to our hearts, that you would help us know you better, that you would help us know your kingdom ways, and that you would bring us into alignment with your heart. Help us, fathers, we seek to, to know you and to live for your glory in all the world. So speak to us this morning, we pray. May your spirit correct us and change us and build us and transform us so that we display who you are to everyone that we come in contact with. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather. Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Amen. Well, again, it's good to be with you this morning. And I I wonder this morning if you've ever been left off of an invitational list. If you've ever been excluded from a party that you thought you were going to get an invitation to. Uh, that's, that's probably one of the worst feelings in the world. Maybe you discovered a friend or uh, a supposed friend maybe or a classmate. Uh, maybe for some of you kids, somebody in your class decided to throw a party and you didn't get an invitation. Doesn't that stink? Isn't that one of the worst things ever? It's one of the crises of growing up. What if I don't get an invitation to the party from the person I really like and affirm and want to be friends with? What if I don't get that invite? Nobody wants that to happen. But I wonder if many of us do that, perhaps unknowingly, but wonder if many of us do that with regard to the good news of the invitation of the gospel. 
There, there are certain people that we're excited about, even thrilled that we get to share Christ with. When we came to Christ, we had that passion and that eagerness to tell other people about the hope that we found, and so we're excited about that. And yet, there's other people that we're okay, perhaps even a little bit more content with them not being on our invitation list. We're, we're happy, or we're at least ignorant of their need, and we're happy if they don't show up in the kingdom of heaven. When it comes to the life-saving good news of Jesus Christ, do we perhaps discriminate on who we are throwing the life preserver to, if I can use that metaphor, based on whether we want them in the kingdom of God or not? Are we leaving people off the invitation list? These parables of Jesus that we're looking at in Luke's gospel are parables that kind of reorient us to the ways of the kingdom. Jesus, in telling these parables, he flips things upside down. He, he, he brings things that have uh, seemed to be the status quo or the societal norms, and he says, no, wait. God's kingdom has a different vantage point. It's a different view for us, and we should think differently about this. Now, Jesus here in Luke chapter 14, he has been at a, what I would call an after-Sabbath supper club meeting. He's been having a meal with the ruling house of the Pharisees, and they've been watching him carefully. And this after-Sabbath supper, supper, uh, after supper club has been a group of people that have been trying to discern and watch Jesus to see where he will mess up, where he will, he will fail so that they can invalidate his entire claim to being God. You see there in verse 1 of chapter 14, one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. I, I see the whole situation as being one in which they're there, they're watching Jesus, they actually invited him to trap him, so all of the conversation is about things that, that they would be against and he would be for, that they would be things that he would actually... Uh, choose to, to challenge them on, and that's exactly what happens. Throughout this entire mill, it's there in verses 14 all the way to the end of what we read, that, that Jesus is confronting them. Jesus came to this meal to provoke them. He, he comes to bring a challenge to them, and he's been confrontational the entire way through. He's called them out on their pride. He's called them out on their sin. They've loved to put themselves first. Jesus Verse 13 or in verse 11 says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus keeps flipping the prevailing notions of who we should invite into the kingdom of God, and he's challenging them, antagonizing them. He, he challenges the guests, and now in verse 12, he turns his attention to the host himself. He, he, he speaks to the one who set up the entire party, and he, and he wants to challenge him, he wants to challenge us on how we view our invitation of the gospel and who we share it with. He, he speaks to us not just about our physical parties and social networking and relationships that we have here today, but about our spiritual realities, about who we would invite in and who we would exclude. So he does this in two ways. He calls us um, in two ways to think about who we invite to the gospel and who we share it with. Let me unpack these for us this morning. Let's drill down a little bit closer on this. First of all, Jesus challenges us about our invitation list. And the first thing is that we would check our current invite list. Who do you have on the list that you would invite to the kingdom of heaven? Maybe who you should ask who you would have off of your list. Who would you not invite? So he speaks this sermon. He speaks to this, this after Sabbath supper club. 
And he tells him this in verse 12, particularly to the host, to the man who invited him. When you give a dinner, he says, or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich, rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, this seems kind of uh, off to us in a culture. Jesus saying, hey, when you, when you have dinner, you know, when you have a party, when, when you have your Thanksgiving meal or your Christmas celebration, is Jesus saying, like, I shouldn't invite my family over for that? Is he saying, don't have the, my relatives and the people that I love there with me? Well, not necessarily. These banquets that Jesus is talking about, these dinners, were the uh, societal parties of Jesus' days that happened after the synagogue meeting. They were the Sabbath meals, and they were a means of power and elevation and privilege to those who had wealth, to those who were esteemed, to those who were high in society. These banquets were displays of their lavish wealth and privilege and pride. So one leader would host the party that week, and he would invite all the people that would elevate his status, and he would leave off the list anyone that would be seen as less than him. He wouldn't have them at the party because it would denigrate his status. It would lower his status. So the parties were always attempts to one-up each other and to have more and more important people at it. Think about, this is kind of how it works today in our modern society, think about the, the after parties of the Oscars and the Grammys. There's a few of those parties that are really, really esteemed and elite. If you get an invitation to that party, you are somebody. And if you don't get an invitation to that party, do you even exist? And that's how it was working in Jesus' day. These religious leaders, the pastors, if you will, were having the parties, they were having the feast with those that elevated their status, the people that made them look important. And they were neglecting the people who had need. Jesus says to him, don't, don't throw those parties this way. Why? Because they will also invite you in return and you will be repaid. It was a system of reciprocity. It was a system of social elitism. Power, wealth, and status all stayed siloed in one group who kept elevating each other and excluding those in need. Here's the people who belong. Here's the people who matter. Here's the people who really have it going on. And they're big in the eyes of God. And the rest of you, you don't get that invite? Just rabble. Just dust. Nobody cares about you. You don't even exist. Jesus here reverses the social order. He says, when you give a feast, look with me in verse 13, he says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Now here, do you see how he's flipping it upside down? He's saying that these people, these poor, lame, blind, they're the outcasts of society. They're the, the people in society that can't elevate your position. They can't bring you up. By being in the room with them, you don't gain anything. In fact, they can't even pay you back. They don't have the means and the, and the ability to throw a great feast. And so when you invite them to your feast, Jesus says, you're not doing it to get repaid from them. You, you in fact, won't have any payment from them. But he lays out two promises, or he lays out two reasons why. First of all, the person who does it this way who, who turns the tables upside down and doesn't associate themselves or doesn't seek to associate themselves with just the elite, just the people that would elevate their status, but those who would actually lower their status, he says, they will be blessed. There's a blessing for those who look with humility on those who are humbled, who look 
with humility on those who are in need, those who are downcast. There's a blessing of God for those who would actually care for the poor, the homeless, the broken, the needing, the oppressed. He says, don't, ele- don't just invite those who can elevate and repay you, but give space and room and hospitality and invitation to those who cannot elevate you because there is a blessing and there is a reward for you will be repaid. So the payment doesn't come in the meeting itself, but the payment comes, Jesus says, the repayment comes at the resurrection of the just. There Jesus looks forward to the future day, that last day. We stand before him at the resurrection of the just and there the blessing and the reward of living a life of humility to exalt those who are humbled rather than seeking to be exalted is paid out. Remember verse 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. If you live in society in a way to build yourself up, you'll be humbled. If you live in society to humble yourself, to put others first, to exalt others, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's a beautiful thing. Calvin summarizes it this way. He says, the meaning of the passage is this, that those who are kind to relatives and friends but are stingy towards the poor are entitled to no commendation because they do not exercise love. It's a matter of love here. But consult only their own gain or ambition. One of the ways I've seen this played out in my family's life is through my mom and father-in-law, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. Every, uh, every year, they would take on, in the uh, small town that they lived in, they would take on some international students that were there at the university. They would adopt them into their family. These international students came from places like Afghanistan and India and Pakistan and uh, Ghana and Malawi, all over the world. None of them were Christians to my knowledge, but they would adopt these international students, and during the course of the year, they would have them in their home. And so when it came to Thanksgiving time or Christmas celebration, the, the meal wasn't just for the family. I, I sat around the table, and sometimes it was kind of weird and a little bit awkward. I sat around pe- the table with people I didn't know, but my, my in-laws got this concept They were seeking to show hospitality and to love to people who wouldn't receive it otherwise, these college students that had nowhere to go for a Thanksgiving meal. They had to be sticking around at the dorms on winter break when nobody else was around, nowhere to go for Christmas, and they displayed that physical kind of hospitality. What about you? Are your social environments just environments that you're elevated, that you're affirmed, that you're rejoiced in, Or are there places where you can elevate and help and be humble toward those in need, to the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, those who are outcast, marginalized in our society? But Jesus here isn't just going for the physical levels of hospitality, although he definitely means that. He's also going to the spiritual levels of our hospitality, to the the bigger issue of who should be in the kingdom of God. That's where I would press on us this morning. Who are we willing to invite and include in our view of the banquet of the kingdom of God? Who are we putting on our invitation list to come to know Jesus and to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? Who's on that list? Is it only people who we like? Those who we believe that are worthy of the invitation? Those who have you know, cleaned up themselves in society enough that we could actually tolerate to be with them? Those who we want to be there at the exclusion of those that we would be happy to see burn? Would heaven be happy if it included those who we look down on? 
Would we be okay with being in the kingdom of heaven with people that we currently see as a threat to our way of life? See, we can be eager to make sure that people we feel comfortable with receive the message, that, that we can tell them about Jesus because we actually do love them and want them to be part of the kingdom. But we can, be, we can hesitate or be hostile towards, the go, towards taking the gospel to those who we don't think deserve it. I would call this a case of missional justice, the gospel going to the ends of the earth. William Carey, the uh, father of modern missions, as he's called, in the late 18th century, saw the biblical mandate to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to take it to the people who had not received Christ, to the heathen, to every tongue and tribe and people and nation. However, the people in the churches of England didn't agree with him. Many leaders in his own denomination, which was a Baptist denomination, by the way, they opposed him. One story in particular, one meeting Carrie Shore shared about the need to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and he was interrupted by an older minister who said this. He said, young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Is that our attitude towards those who need the gospel? Towards the poor and the needy, the marginalized who are far from Christ? What about the Muslim or Buddhist that lives in your neighborhood or community? Do you treat the invitation of the gospel like a social party invitation by extending it only to your friends? That's what Jesus is after. So he's asking the question, who's on your invitation list? Or better yet, who's not on your invitation list? Who are you excluding from the kingdom of God by writing them off immediately and not extending that invitation to? To take it one step further, Jesus asks and tell, or he tells a parable. He raises the question with a story here, a way for us to see the kingdom of God that we might not see were it not in a story form. And so the second way is this, is that we would see how Jesus invites everyone. See how Jesus invites everyone. Now here in the parable, he is, he is positioning himself as the master and he's positioning, positioning us as servants, but also invitees as well. He tells the story in verse 15. He says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now you can, you can sense in that dinner party and that after Sabbath supper club that there's some real high tensions. I mean, Jesus has been challenging them. You guys are doing it all wrong, he says. You're elevating yourselves, you're marginalizing the poor and those in need, and it's wrong. And it's real uncomfortable. He's called out the guest, he's called out the host. It's just awkward all over the place. So somebody in the crowd's like, I gotta break this nervous tension. I gotta defuse this verbal bomb that's about to go off. And so he just says, you know what? Won't it be great when we all get to heaven? Like when we're all there to taste the bread of the kingdom of God, won't that be wonderful? Is it just kind of like, let's sweep this under the rug, let's stop talking about religion and politics at dinner, and let's just kind of, you know, let's just be glad we're all going to be there. And that's where Jesus drills in further. He asks a question. He tells the parable. Here's the parable, and you may get it. There's this, this great banquet. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Now, this isn't just like, hey, come over to my house after dinner. When Jesus says a great banquet inviting many, he is setting the stage of a huge party, a huge party that has a lot of logistics, that takes a lot of planning, and you can't just pull it off in 30 seconds. 
I mean, you've got to have the right amount of food for the first century. They actually had to go and butcher the animals that they would be serving. So they got to know how many people are coming so that they can butcher the right amount of animals and prepare those. They've got to have the right amount of drinks. You may remember the, the uh, story when Jesus went to the wedding and the wine ran out early. And that was a great offense to the host. Here it is in this situation, as Jesus is telling the story, it's a great party. A lot of people are on the invite list, so you're expecting a lot of preparation to go into it, as if to say, RSVP required. You have to tell us you're coming so that we are prepared well. And it happens. They prepare well. They get everything. They get the RSVPs back. They know how many are coming. It's all taken care of. In verse 17, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come on, everything now is ready. So the preparation's been made, the invite list is set, the party is gonna rock. He sends out the servant, tell everybody, come on in, come on in. But what happens is a great insult. It's a reversal here. Notice with me these excuses. Verse 18, they all alike begin to make excuses. I mean, this was a, a uniform, complete, subversive rejection of the invitation. Everybody had been invited. They affirmed that they were coming. And then when the servant comes and says, doors are open, come on in, let's enjoy the party, they were like, huh, I think I actually have some other things to do. Got some other plans that have been made. These excuses, one scholar said, are absolutely lame. I would, occur with, I would concur with that assessment as well. Uh, think about them here, just these lame excuses. The first one, well, I, I've, I've purchased some new property and I must go out. I've, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. I don't know about you, but that's a lame excuse because usually you inspect the field or the home or whatever it is you're buying before you buy it, right? You're not putting down good, hard money on that project, that place, unless you've seen it first. Is this guy not planned? Same with uh, verse 19, the second excuse. I have bought five oxen of yoke, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. You know, I just put down a deposit and um, you know, paid out in cash full for that new Mustang, but I haven't driven it yet. Who does that? That's the, this is a terrible excuse. It doesn't work that way. Or the third excuse, I've married a wife. Okay, now this one really bothers me, all right? Did he not know he was getting married? Did he not set up like an engagement and have a little period of like, hey, the wedding date is this date? He's just like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to get married this weekend. And let's just, they run off in a lope. Like all of these excuses are really, really dumb. They're all based on earthly priorities, temporal priorities, instead of the eternal ones. So rightly so, the master is angry. He's upset. He's insulted. They've insulted him by their no-shows. So here's what the master does. He gets the servant he becomes angry and he says to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. He's like, go out there and get everybody who would not elevate me by their presence being here, but invite everybody who has, they, they wouldn't have been invited otherwise. The society would have looked down on, down on them. Invite those who wouldn't be there normally. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You see, this is the idea of Jesus' view of the gospel. It's for those who have need not for those who have no need of it. The gospel is for those who are downtrodden, who are broken, who are poor in spirit, not for the ones who have it all together. And sending the servant out to, to invite in those who don't belong is a way of Jesus saying, my kingdom is for those who don't belong. 
My kingdom is for those who are down and out, who are broken, who don't have it all together, who are wrecked by their sin and their need. That's where the gospel is for, not for those who view and see that they have no need of it. They don't see it as an imperative to show up. Jesus specifically here was condemning the religious leaders of his day. He, the Son of God, had been in their presence. He had come to throw a great party for them, to bring in his people Israel, and they had all rejected him and refused him. So he says, go out. Go out to those who who have a need, who are poor and crippled. But the party isn't full. The room isn't full. Verse 22, or verse 23, he says, in the master, uh, verse 22, the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has, be done, has been done, and there's still room. The master's house will seek to be full. And so he says out the servant a third time, and he says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now, here it is. The gospel goes out even farther. This time they're sent, the servant is sent to the highways and hedges. That's to the most remote places from the city. The highways and hedges were where the robbers, the thieves, the vagrants, the outlaws existed. It was where the Gentiles ran around. Those farthest, most remote regions were the places where the unclean lepers live who couldn't be in society. The master says, go out, bring them in. In fact, he uses the word compel here. It's the idea of strongly urging or make it a necessity that they show up. This banquet is for them. And that's the the reality of the gospel. It doesn't just exist for those who have it put together. It's not there for those who religiously think they should be in on it. The gospel is for every broken, far-off, alienated sinner from Jesus. The gospel is for every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And that's the picture here. Go out to the highways. Go out to the farthest places. Bring them in. The master's house will be filled. And Jesus then layers a critique, verse 24. He's speaking directly to these religious leaders, to these hypocrites. He says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The question that he raises here is one of application for us first and foremost. Are you receiving the invitation of Jesus to the kingdom? Have you you received that invitation yourself? Because if you will see that you are needy, that you are broken, that you are a sinner alienated from him, the good news is for you. The invitation is for you. So make sure that in your religious practice, in your showing up to church, in your worshiping, in your reading the Bible, make sure that you're not neglecting the invitation yourself because you think you're having it all put together anyway but make sure that you receive the invitation yourself because none of those who were invited and refused the invitation will taste the banquet. Don't refuse the invitation yourself, but then also see the invitation is for everyone. Let me say that again. The invitation is for everyone, for every tongue, for every tribe, for every people, and for every nation. The glory of the eternal kingdom of God pictured in Revelation 21 is that all nations will be there. And so it's clear for me to say it this way. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is for all people. The gospel doesn't discriminate. It doesn't pick 
teams. It doesn't pick the religious elite or those who have it best or the wealthiest or the proudest or the greatest. The gospel should go to everyone. Maybe you need to write that down. The gospel is for all people, every image bearer. So Jesus raises the question, how are you viewing the kingdom of God and its invitation? What he teaches us here is that we are to share the open invitation to God's celebration. That we as the people of Jesus are to be like the servant in this story, going out to the poor and the broken and the lame, going out to the highways and the hedges to declare Jesus is inviting you in to his eternal party. Will you be there? Will you show up? That includes taking the gospel to our Muslim coworker. It means taking the gospel to the couples that are LGBTQ that live on our block. It means taking the gospel to those who don't look like us, who don't vote like us, who don't believe like us, and saying there is one who loves you. Come to him. His party is for you. If we believe that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, then if we don't take Jesus to everyone, we deny them the reality of his grace. We discriminate. Jesus says, no, let there be no reluctance, no discrimination, no being stingy with who, but proclaim it high and low on the mountains and in the valleys, in the streets and alleyways and highways and byways. Declare to every image bearer, every human being, the party is open. Will you come to Jesus? Will you enjoy his kingdom banquet? All that is required of you is to see your need and to come to him. To come to him. This is who the kingdom of God is for. Share the open invitation of God's celebration. This parable causes me to conclude this morning with a question for each of us. It, the way the parable ends, Jesus transitions in verse 25 to a, a new subject, great crowds. The way this parable ends lands on a question for us. If we say we are followers of Jesus, if we have received the invitation ourselves and are coming to the party by faith, the parable asks us the question, well, who are we inviting? Who are we inviting to the party? I mean, who's going to show up? Who does our invitation go to? I want to encourage you this morning to make this very practical and to consider who's on that invite list of yours. Write a name down. But who, think about it for just a moment, who wouldn't you have on the invitation list that you need to put there? Who do you need to have an invitation to? Will you be courageous enough to tell them? Will you be, will you be forward enough with the love of God to say, come to the party? Who needs this invitation? Perhaps the person that needs the invitation to Christ is the person you'd least expect to respond. It's the person you think they'll never come to Christ. Or maybe it's the person you would say, I don't want to see them there for whatever reason that might be. May we humble ourselves. May we repent. And may we take that invitation to all people, especially those that need it the most and we're the most reluctant to share it with. The master's house will be filled and it'll be a great party. Let's do all we can to see everyone come to Christ with the good news of the gospel. Let's pray.
Father, where we have been busy elevating ourselves and making sure that our best interests are protected, we ask for your grace to forgive us. Where we have been stingy with our proclamation of the gospel or our love towards those who are far from you because we believe that they don't deserve it or that you would, they would never respond to you, Lord, forgive us. But make us a people, Father, that are eager, that are passionate, and that are humble enough to take the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl, to every image bearer. Lord, remove the, the barriers of our hearts that cause us to be prejudiced against people who need Christ. And may we be active in sharing the good news of the grace of Jesus for us. Help us not just to hear your word this morning, but to receive it, to obey it, and to apply it. We thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.